Welcome to the CKTH podcast. This is a very special edition of the program with the artist Ken Taylor, forever representing Bakersfield, California, while also traveling the world via his work as a painter. Ken is a tremendous inspiration. Preternaturally talented in the arts as he is at soccer. Ken is a testament to believing in yourself, pursuing your passions, and committing to playing big when life calls for it. Huge thanks to Ken and everyone at the Simkovitz Gallery in Los Angeles for the help in putting this together. Much love and respect and enjoy. Ken, how's it going? Hey, John, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, Got some sunshine here today in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. A little blustery, but uh, the sun is coming on through and that's that's always nice. It's always welcome on a Friday. (laughs) TGIF, man. (laughs) This is true. This is is most of the time very true. Um, And where in the world are you at the moment? So right now I'm in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, and um, it was a sunny day here too. And how many, so right now it is 5.15 or so in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, where you are. Uh, how many times have you been to Europe? And I think you said this is your first time to Switzerland or no? Yeah, yeah. This is my first time to Switzerland. Um, I started coming to Europe when I was 18. And then um, I came back again when I was like 22. Um, and then I spent a lot of time in Antwerp, Belgium. And then I've been coming back here and there. But this year during COVID, I've um, come back. Um, this is my second time coming back. And I mean, just, you know, high level, broad brushstrokes um, describe the experience to be to be in Switzerland. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, probably one of the cleanest cities in the world. Um and or countries really, but um, I've only been in Geneva so far. Um, I'm planning on going to the mountains, so the mountain range, you know, it's, it's really a lot of beautiful mountains and stuff out here, no doubt. But I'm excited to um, check out. That's that sounds amazing. Um, I remember chatting with you earlier about how, um, although I've never been to Switzerland, I've been to Japan a number of times, and um. I feel like they've got a lot in common in the sense that they're both very clean. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like they've got a um, reputation, both of them for being kind of polite. But uh, um, anyways, I, I, I very much would like to eventually check it out at some point in my life. Yeah. Switzerland, that is. So originally, uh, where are you from? So I'm from California. I was born in Los Angeles. I grew up in Bakersfield, California. Shout out to Bakersfield. Yes. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, Bakersfield High School is the Drillers? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So we have a, a big high school there called um, Bakersfield High School, the Drillers. I actually went to South High um, my freshman year. Uh, and then I transferred to uh, a private school called Garces High School. How was that? Um, it was interesting, you know, um, I grew up around South high and I think it's just a different, um, class of 
socioeconomics and going to the private school was like a kind of a big culture shock, but, um, I was very thankful to go and, and I actually, um, was sponsored to go there to play soccer. Okay. So I was actually going to ask you just about like childhood interests and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, you and I have again, touched on some of your soccer background. I know that it kind of runs deep. So, I mean, just walk me through it. Yeah. Um, I started playing soccer when I was like about 10. Um, and I grew up playing like, um, so the party Bakersfield that I'm from is like basically all Mexican, uh, immigrants. And so I started playing in these leagues they would actually call them Mexican leagues. And, um, I almost didn't make the team my first time because I didn't speak Spanish. So they need, but they needed a goalie. And I promised them that I would learn to speak Spanish. And my mom told them that I would, she speaks Spanish. My mom's from Mexico. Um, so that's really when I, um, found the love for the sport actually. Wow. And, you know, as I told you, I, um, hung up my soccer, uh, cleats, if you will, in third grade <laughs> rec league. Um, but, uh, you know, it, Describe to me what you felt like the differences were between that league that you were talking about, how you maybe didn't make the squad and then other styles of play that you have been a part of. Well, it's interesting. I feel like America has its own version of uh, soccer and then like Mexico has a deep, also its own version. And I kind of grew up um, learning the Mexican version of that. Um, my first coaches were all, they were both from Mexico. One of them actually played a little bit of pro in Mexico and then had moved to Bakersfield. Um, and he was an upholster and then actually built a, it's like this five, it's a five aside court, like hmm. field that's outside, but it has like, it's almost like a hockey rink. Um, but it's for soccer and he built one in the middle of my neighborhood. And that's where we would always all meet and, uh, hang out and play and, and like really learn how to play. And, and this guy really showed me how to play soccer. So, um, I learned like a very specific type of system and, and way to play soccer, which actually helped me out. I bet. So like technically speaking, like, would you say there's more ball movement? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's all about, uh, he would say technica, la technica, which means like, you know, ball control and like being patient and calm and like understanding where you're supposed to be on the field and how to pass and, uh, how to like control tempo in the game and, and structure and, um, actually taught me like how to play the game more than just like this athletic, um, you know, competition. It was more about, um, a style of play and like how you play and, and actually learning how to like kick the ball properly, like as like the main focus, you know? Sure. I mean, you know, as I told you, I have always admired and I think maybe not as much as some Americans, but probably more than most Americans followed soccer fairly closely. I was a big fan of the OG Ronaldo back in the day. Um, yeah. I just kind of liked his style for whatever reason. Um, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the rep for American soccer is that they still are kind of like a little bit too reliant on athletes, maybe something like that. What was interesting, like <clears throat> playing club and stuff like that, like I learned that, you know, it's a different style. I don't know. Basically, once I got to college, I really understood the difference. Like yeah, Division One soccer in America is like, you know, very 
athletic based. Mm. Um, you know, you're just like dealing with athletes and I'm, I'm probably about five, eight and I was the biggest midfielder in our, in our midfield. Okay. <laughs> which, okay. Which, which you could kind of tell, like our team was like heavy Latin based in the, in the center and we were all pretty small, but, um, we, we played a certain style, you know, but we would, we would definitely play these teams that were very athletic and, and, and that's kind of what it was. And I mean, I have played with some really good players too, and they, they didn't even make it to the MLS because I think, um, I think because of that, you know, interesting. Um, so when you were in college, you, you mentioned that, um, you guys made the tournament, which is obviously amazing. Um, and at the same time, you're carrying, you know, this passion and this tremendous skill and, um, you know, a course load for the arts. Yeah. So basically I, I always understood soccer as like this way out of Bakersfield. Um, at an early age, I realized, um, the better teams were traveling and stuff like that. And I always loved going out of Bakersfield and seeing all the different parts of Southern California and Northern California. So then once I got to college that like, it, it, I started traveling more. We would fly places. That was like the first time I went to New York, Oregon, Seattle, Dallas, Colorado. I mean, a lot of places. And, um, but I also understood that soccer's, you know, by the time you're 28, 30, like your career is, is over. So I think, um, when I was in college, all that kind of hit me, um, my first year where I was realizing like, okay, like, is this something that I want to pursue as a, like a lifestyle or is there something more to life that I'm interested in that maybe I can work on for, you know, until I die basically. And, um, I took an art class, art 101, and, um, that's kind of like the, the intro to like art as, you know, making a life, making it a lifestyle. So like what, like growing up then you would sketch or on occasion or whatever, but like you weren't. Yeah. You know, growing up, I had an interesting lifestyle. Like my, both my parents are entrepreneurs. Um, so we started off like selling oranges and swap meats. My stepdad's a mechanic, but then, you know, my mom was also trying to buy like old houses and, and renovate them. And, and so I had, I was a really hands-on, like my stepdad grew up in a ranch in Mexico. So mm. he really taught me a lot of things about like, um, using your hands and knowing how to like fix things and, and, you know, this plus this equals that. And then also my mom would always be annoyed with like how much energy I had. So she would tell me like, why don't you just draw something, draw something. And then, so I always used to draw my hands. I was obsessed with drawing my hands growing up. And then, um, obviously a little bit of graffiti here and there or like drawing people's names on backpacks and, and things like that. <laughs> And then in high school, I took, um, an art class and that was the class that I didn't fall asleep in, which was, um, really cool. Cause I would be so into it and, um, I could like actually be focused for like the whole time. And I remember like a lot of my friends being like, Whoa, where, like, where, where did that come from when I would make a drawing or, um, a painting and stuff like that, which I didn't really pay any mind to at the time. Cause I was so focused on soccer, but I think right. when I got to college, it, it, those whispers kind of came back to me. So was it in college that you kind of started to land on a, on a bit more of a consistent medium and interest and stuff like that? Yeah. So I took an art 101 class and then I realized that you can actually like make a living, um, off of art. And then with that, I kind of like really took a leap for it and I just went all out. Um, 
in college, I had really great professors. They would travel down from LA to Bakersfield to teach. So we had a lot of field trips and they would take us to LA and show us these like really great artists, um, Chris Burden, Kiki Smith. A lot of it was like conceptual based and stuff like that. So, but I always wanted to paint. I've always been obsessed with oil paint. I think cause my stepdad's a mechanic and I was so used to like oils and gasoline and, and it just kind of reminded me of all that stuff. So um, I always painted with oil, but I definitely have been through like, you know, 10 years of serious experimentation with all types of mediums. That's amazing. Um, I always consistently painted. Um, but for the last two, three years, I I've kind of like put an ultra kind of focus on it, um, more than I had had in the past. Hmm. And then is there a particular professor out of all the ones that you had that, that you felt like kind of made a particularly strong impact? Yeah, definitely. Um, her name is Sarah Vanderlip. Um, she would, um, just always, you know, give us a lot of support, um, and feed and give us fuel our, our ideas and, and let us know that, that it was possible. And even though we weren't at some big art school or something that, you know, we could do it. And even though we didn't have the best facilities or something, it's like, it's it, the world was ours, you know? And, um, hmm. I had a really good friend, Brandon Landers and him and I really kind of, um, really kind of flourished in that type of environment. Cause it wasn't, you know, not very many people cared about the classes and stuff, but somehow we did. And so we ended up getting a lot of attention from the, from the professors to like really develop and grow as artists. Yeah, no, that sounds like an amazing transition. Um, especially going from, like you said, like the hardcore, uh, interest in something like soccer, which of course is like an, an extremely artful sport in and of itself to then, um, diving in a lot more deeply into the education side. And yet <clears throat> there's this like whole other jump that everybody has to make from going from, you know, the, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say the protected conf confines or whatever of academia or whatever world that is, but to the real world. And, yeah. Yeah, you know, like talk about just like that kind of runway that you've kind of experienced going from, one sort of education to a much more professionalized version. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was this great class um, that I ended up taking and it was like this gallery class that Joey Cotting, another artist who also was a professor there, um, kind of conceived. And the class was to get the students to help an artist that they invited to the school with like a budget to conceive a show from the beginning to the end. So we, we would help the artists like, from the beginning of the show, carry out the whole thing. Like what it means to write a press release, what it means to order materials, what it means to prep for the work, what it means to make the work, what it means to hang it, what it means to like sell it, what it means to, um, deinstall it and what it means to like actually ship it and get it out into the world after it has been shown. So with that, I met this artist, this great artist, Mary Weatherford, um, and it's all funny because it's like, like what I said earlier, like with the soccer, the guy who came from Mexico and taught me how to soccer, how to play. He also gave me a job when I was like 14 and he was an upholster. So yeah. I spent a lot of time with him after practice and before practice unstapling and stapling like material to couches and, and stuff like that. So when I got to this part of my life where helping this woman, um, make a show, she really needed a lot of help stretching the canvas onto the stretcher bars, which, cause she was making these huge paintings. 
So then like when I started to help, she realized I was really good. I didn't really know either. I was just like really comfortable with the stapler and the tools and stuff like that. So actually I like was like showing up after school to help her because she had like a lot of work. She was pretty ambitious show that she was going for. And, um, because of that, she was like so stoked that she actually offered me a job. So Mm. that was like my last year of high school. I mean, of college. And then because I met her, I actually, she offered me a job to, um, work for her in LA, which I didn't take at first because for some reason I was, um, I mean, I I knew I wanted to just be my own artist and stuff like that. I didn't really think about working for somebody, Mm. but I had a friend that I met in college playing and stuff like that. He was from Belgium. So he, um, went back to Belgium obviously after and started playing fourth division out there and was making like, you know, 800 euros a month, a thousand euros a month, which I thought like would be enough to kind of like rent a studio and paint. So I packed my bags. I actually went out there with like no plan or no money or idea of anything. Really. I just went out there and knocked on his door and he was like, Oh yeah, cool. Let's, let's see. And then, so I went to train and, and, you know, everything was great, like on the performance side, but, uh, logistically with like paperwork and things like that, they actually protect their, their farmer leagues, what they call, um, for their, for their youth. So they don't really let international people come and play in those leagues. So I ended up, um, staying out there though for six months and I found a studio somehow. Um, and I just did handyman work and painted. It sounds like kind of the dream. <laughs> Honestly, it was kind of a smooth, I mean, it's not smooth, you know, cause I took a lot of gambles. Like I really went out there. I had $600 and I, and wow. I bought my ticket. Um, after I bought my ticket, I had $600 and I went out there, you know, I mean, it's, it's like so many risks on the way. Like, because even that year, I remember like soccer had paid for my school and, and my education, but I didn't have any money to right. make these oil paintings that I wanted to make. And I know I took out a loan for like $5,000 and then I bought all kinds of oil paint and materials and stretcher bars. And I made like a whole suite of paintings, like I think like 15 or 20, like larger size paintings, um, with that money and like, didn't even sell it or <laughs> do anything with it. I honestly just left. Um, but th- I still have all those paintings, which is amazing. Yeah. And I was going to ask what, what was the focus of that first suite? Um, to be honest, just to explore like what oil paint can do, you know? Um, mm. and not be afraid to kind of like really put it on the canvas. Mm, that makes sense. And so your first international show and correct me if I'm wrong here was called artist parentheses, not in residence. And, yeah, so, um, go ahead. Yeah, that was the name of the show. So the guy who came to the studio visit with me was like, what are you doing out here? And I, you know, kind of explained to him like what had happened and, that I, I'm, I'm just out here painting. And he was like, wow, you kind of like made your own residence, like in a weird way. And so he thought it was this great idea and then um, wanted to title the show artist, not in residence. Um, <laughs> for the loop. And I, I thought it was a great idea too. So I was like, cool, let's do it. And um, that was actually my first show out, out, out of uh, school. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, did, did you, I mean, I don't know, it's funny how you reflect on stuff at the time or not, but I mean, did, did you ever kind of just stop in the moment or were things moving so quickly at the time that you were just like, you know, there's no, there's no reason to even think about anything uh, in, in, in a reflective manner because you're on, you're on to the next on to the next piece, on to the next work. No, on no the I next... was so broke. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, honestly, it was just like, 
Like I always knew, I don't know. There was a moment in my life where I actually didn't care about money. Um, and I felt like it would all just make sense someday. Um, my parents, my mom, everyone was like, what are you doing? You know, like you're an adult now and you're like spending your time, like making paintings. And I was like, not really taking care of myself, like not, not getting haircuts and probably not eating the best and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of people like looking at me, like I was kind of, you know, what, like really questioning what I was doing and stuff like that. But I always kind of knew what I wanted to do and, and I knew it was going to take time. I knew working with Mary, even in that first show, like I saw her trajectory and, and what it takes to actually like get to a point where you can be comfortable in what you're making and like actually develop as an artist. And I think playing soccer for so long, I also understood that as well, where, you know, if you put 10 years into something like you will be really good at it, you know? And so being 19, 20, I knew I needed 10 years or something like that, 10,000 hours or whatever it was. So I knew, um, if I just kind of kept my head down and, and just kept painting, um, it would happen, you know? Mm. And the first show wasn't successful. I mean, in that sense, like I didn't sell one piece. Um, I actually just traded all my art for like, you know, a place to stay, um, for this, I met this guy who owned a sushi restaurant I gave him a painting of his, I painted his kids as a commission and he would give me free sushi and, and stuff like that. Um, just, you know, just really out there, um, trying to make it happen. So I really didn't spend any time reflecting per se. I was just kind of looking forward. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I mean, and especially when you compare that kind of, um, kind of, I don't want to say kind of A to B kind of approach to, to the work versus, uh, I'm guessing now where you've got a lot more visibility and time and breathing room to sort of line up a vision in a much different way or approach perhaps, or, or not. I don't know. It's interesting. Actually, like I have the same amount of time, you know, it's, there's 24 hours in a day. I think just where I spend my, the time in my head right. is a little different. Like I'm not asking myself as many questions as I was as, um, a younger Ken, you know, I was really asking myself too many questions and like painting over paintings that I didn't have to paint over and, um, really trying to discover like what it was that I, I was comfortable showing the world, you know? And I mean, like, I don't know if this is, um, I mean, was there like a, a little bit of a behind the scenes part of you that, that was starting to kind of come out through the art that you felt like was an interesting opportunity for you to sort of, um, open up other doors with? Uh, how do you mean? So like, is, was there a broader message or was, when did you start to kind of arrive at, I guess, certain parts of your work that are basically, I guess, thematically more representative of stuff you're doing today? Oh yeah. Well, it's actually really funny. Cause I, like I said, that first suite of paintings, like I, if you compare that to like everything I've done and then what I'm doing now it's more resemblance. Of, it's more like very right. much closer to what that first suite of paintings was. And then like, then, like you said that the shelter of academic, you know, bubble popped. And then when I went into the real world, there was a lot more questioning and, and things that were coming at me mm. that I didn't have this academic thing like, Oh no, I'm just in school to back up. So then it took me like another five, eight years to kind of do a whole loop, you know, and come back and be like, Oh, you know what? Actually I was onto something here. 
and we keep <laughs> going with that. <laughs> and not to say that, you know, the loop is over or, you know, nothing is going to change here on out, but right. it was kind of, um, a, you know, it was like kind of a relief to know, like, you know, no, I, I knew this whole time, you know, that's incredible. And I mean, obviously, like you said, which I have s- such immense respect for, so, uh, you know, everyone who invests themselves in a way that's self-directed and takes on real risk. Um, you know, there, I don't know. I mean, there's just risk is such a real part of the human experience and, um, not to sound corny, but, um, Shaq has a famous quote, at least it's famous for me. Um, and he says, you can't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. And uh, just let that one settle in for a second. <laughs> but point being is that like risk is real and there's no getting around it. You know, mm. um, you, you, in, you accept it and, you know, you burn the ships and all that kind of stuff. But now that you've invested yourself in this process and you've, I don't want to say like, you know, come out on the other end or da da da. But I, like I said, now, now you understand how to navigate this this non-academic world. And, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that you've got that kind of, um, vision in a sense. And, uh, you just finished, you, you have a lot of things going on, obviously you just finished a show, uh, which was beautiful, uh, mountains and roses. Uh, talk about that. Yeah. So, so that, that show, um, I showed it with, uh, Stefan Simkowitz, Simkowitz gallery. Um, I've been working with him probably for like two years prior to that show. And, um, it's really kind of about this journey. I felt like that show, um, from early on as a kid, like, you know, I can remember traveling to TJ Tijuana, Mexico with my mom to like buy stuff to bring back to Bakersfield to sell. And, you know, we moved actually to Bakersfield from LA when I was about three. So like uh, my earliest memories are always like looking out the window on the grapevine Hmm. And that's the mountain pass, Los Padres forest between Bakersfield and, and Los Angeles. There's like these beautiful mountains. Right. And, um, it's always been like looking out that window, like either to go buy stuff in LA, buy stuff in TJ, bring it back to sell in the swap meet or me traveling to go play a soccer game and then coming back every weekend <laughs> or me traveling to LA to stretch Mary's paintings and come back to Bakersfield or me now traveling to Bakersfield to help my mom's business and like see my family. So it's kind of like, you know, a journey through the mountains. And I think, um, with the roses, um, that was kind of like, you know, like I'm starting to see the beauty, like you, you know, you, you see a lot of, um, I mean, there's a famous quote, I think it's like with every rose comes a thorn. And I feel like Mm -hmm. sometimes you see the thorns first or (laughs) roses. I don't know which one you see first, but um, it is kind of about that, um, journey in a sense, you know, and it being like my first kind of big solo show. Um, it was kind of a way to introduce, you know, to to like, to take this journey, um, and kind of show. Yeah. And and I think it's, there's a, a nice amount of symmetry in the sense too, because it, it was the inaugural exhibition at Stefan's, um, new spot in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And I, you know, I hearing you talk about it, it just makes sense that he would, um, I don't know that, 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 that connection was made. Yeah, that's great. So 
on that note, I obviously I read the um, the recent Vogue Italia piece that Stefan wrote about your work and the symbolism of the cowboy hat, which, by the way, is obviously I think a truly inspiring thing to anybody that um, that sort of digs into it. And you know, as a native Californian who has been on the Grapevine Pass and has been through that 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 part of the, the state, you know, I sincerely just wanted to say thank you to you uh, for opening my eyes to the backstory behind the symbolism of that cowboy hat element. Wow. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I feel like growing up, I mean, not even growing up, actually for me growing up, it was like very straightforward. And when I started painting cowboy hats, I always thought it was pretty straightforward. Um, and then I started interacting with a lot of people and asking them like, Oh, Typically when someone's like, oh, what's the cowboy hats about? If you know, if it's a casual studio visit, I always ask them like, well, what, what, what comes to your mind first? Mm-hmm. And I started realizing a lot of people grew up watching Italian uh, spaghetti Westerns. No doubt. And um, I had never watched any of those things. So it was really interesting to see like all these, like this parallel image between two different universes, basically. Because for me, a cowboy, like the cowboy hat sombrero is completely something different like it's um not different in 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 shape or or look but you know what it represents to people and and what type of memories they get from these things and stuff like that so um for me it was always like you know it's it's two things it's one you know you actually got to protect yourself um from the sun when you're working outside especially in Bakersfield or if you're in the farms and and things like that which I have actually spent two summers working in the Chile farms, picking jalapenos and, um, you know, doing all kinds of work outside where I would wear a big hat, you know, not out of like style or anything like that. But then also like I would wear a hat to my sister's quinceanera to, um, my cousin's weddings and stuff like that as like a more of a, you know, kind of a culture thing. Like this is my hat and you know, it's, this is my dress up hat. Like I'm dressed up now. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, um, but I think it's, I, I love it. I, I love the metaphor. I think it's, it's, it's a great symbol. Um, it's something that you put on your head. I feel like, you know, it's a mental, like that kind of metaphor equals like a mentality. And then, you know, what it does to people when you, when you wear it, you, you know, it's almost like a satellite. I mean, I don't mean to trip out so much right here on this, but, um, I think it's really kind of an open-ended symbol for people to kind of be able to put what they believe. But in the end, I think it really kind of gives my art a, um, a time and place that's quite specific to where, um, I want to be, you know? Mm. No, a thousand percent. I think it's, I mean, the second I, um, first saw it, you know, I, uh, I, I thought it was one of the most powerful representations of the kind of cowboy hat that you're talking about, where there's a playfulness in it. Um, and clearly, like you're saying about the, the backstory of that object itself, that there's a, a powerful kind of um, weight that is just inherent to the, to the, to what it means when you're the, when you're the, when you are that archetype walking through the door, with that, with that thing on. Yeah. And especially, you know, you, a native Californian, you know, California is the, is the wild west, you know, and the, the social structures that were created have a lot to do with like the, the efficiency of a cowboy hat and a handgun, you know, mm-hmm. 
it's like these two things created like Stenson made this like beaver hat. So that way people could like really go and like have a hat protect you from the sun. And then you had the Colt or I forget, but it's like a handgun that was invented and people were able to kind of actually come out here and not like, you know, there was a lot of things that happened because of these two objects and like the way, you know, Mexico took over the native land and then like America taking over that land and then it all being a mix and stuff like that. And then like to this day, I feel like there's kids still who walk around with handguns on their way to school on their hips and, and things like that. And it, it, it kind of is, a you know, to me, California is still wild west and, um, I also think like that's, that's something that really attracts, not attracts me, but it's like, it's kind of like, it's what I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to tell that story, like someone from Bakersfield who like walked to school and, you know, saw their friends have the guns on their hips when I'm in middle school and stuff like that. Right. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's obviously an expensive place. Um, a lot of sunshine and a lot of things that I think, um, people know about or don't know about. Um, but, uh, it, it most definitely the attitude of California is faster. I think more progressive in a, in a, in a, in its own, in its own way. And that's not to knock a lack of progressiveness elsewhere, but I think that everybody that lands on in a, in a place in California knows that it's, it's just a different perspective and it's a different way of interacting with one another as well. Yeah. And then if you, you know, it's, I mean, if you think about like, you know, when a lot of these cities were founded, I think like, you know, a lot of California is probably founded somewhere between like 1830 to 1900. And, you know, what is that a hundred years? It's like, I'm in Switzerland. The house I'm in right now is built in 1600. It's like, wow, it's, it's a, a very new, new place. And, um, I think it's still kind of like that, that vibe. Yeah. I, I still, even though I'm in Massachusetts at the moment, I still consider California and and, and San Diego, my home. Um, you know, and I think that if you're lucky enough, like I was to, to be from there, you know, you, you, you reminded not about all the harsh winters or anything like that, but you're reminded about how, um, it really is, I think, um, for better and for worse, right? Like there's a lot going on there that happens elsewhere around the country, but, uh, or the world, but like, it is a mixed kind of experience that, you know, it's, uh, it's special. So shout out to Southern California, I guess, not to, yeah, yeah. You, you know, what I, mean? like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever taken the eight out to like El Centro or, um, for sure. Know. Absolutely. Like, it's like, it's, it's desert, you know, like half, like once you cross the other side of the mountains in California, it's, it's, it's a hot place. So I, I actually, uh, it's funny that you say that when I was 11 years old, I got heat stroke playing pop Warner football out in El Centro. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah full so, blown, yeah. full blown hallucinations by the second half. Yeah, man. You guys should have been wearing cowboy hats. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, okay. So you're also involved in a, uh, in a new show in Los Angeles that, that just opened and it's called twisted dream by mm-hmm. John Wolf. Yeah. 
So what do, what do people need to know about this particular show? Um, I think it's just a great group show that um, they kind of put on about um, a lot of L.A. artists right now that are um, kind of doing great things. I think the show, they have a lot of good artists in it. So I felt honored to kind of be involved and stuff like that. But um, I think it's, yeah, it's just a great opportunity to show with like a, a bunch of group, uh, another a whole group of artists. Um, I actually didn't get to see the show yet. So um, I'm looking forward to that when I get back. And when are you coming back? Um, I think I'm coming back uh, probably, you know, the first week of May. Great. Well, yeah. I wish I were there to welcome you back. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> now, uh, I just want to finish. Uh, if you had any particular book or movie recommendations that popped to mind. Um, well, right now I'm reading The Four Agreements, um, which is a great book, I think for someone like me to kind of not be so much spending so much time in my head and kind of like, you know, basically the four agreements is, um, don't take things personally. Don't make assumptions. Um, and then, yeah, you got to read the book to get the other two. And then the movie, I just watched a great movie last night called youth. Huh? Um, and I forgot who it's directed by already, but Michael Caine is in it and it's about, um, this movie director who spends time in a Swiss hotel. And, Interesting. and I think the movie, it's a beautifully shot, so artistic, so beautiful. And I think the movie is about, um, coming of age and, and what it is to be young and what it is to be old. And, you know, I think between the artistic view of the whole movie, you kind of find out what it means to people personally, I think. So it's kind of open-ended, which, which I love. I'm a big fan of that as well. I, and, and Michael Caine. Um, can't, you can never go wrong with that guy. Um, Ken, look, I so greatly appreciate you taking the time to connect and, um, share a little bit more about your story. Um, it's a, it's a huge thrill and honor, obviously for, on my part and, uh, couldn't be a bigger fan of everything that you're doing. John, uh, thanks for reaching out, man. Really appreciate it. No doubt. Well, uh, enjoy the mountains of Switzerland and uh, safe travels back home to California. All right, man. Hopefully we catch up soon and uh, we can meet in person. Let's do it. All right. All right, man.